we said, we're, we're going to be jumping back into the Old Testament to, to Micah chapter 5. We began our study of this short little passage that speaks very clearly of the coming of Jesus and the circumstances under which we, he would be born. It's, it's where it is first revealed that he would be born in, in Bethlehem and he would be born of the tribe of Judah, which is something that people that know much about the word should already be aware of. But from that insignificant place, from among a group of what otherwise would be insignificant people, this great one that is spoken about in this particular passage will come forth. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from days of eternity. And remember last week, as we said, for this to be true, that in fact this one coming must in fact be God, because God is the only one who is eternal. Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child, then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise and shepherd his flock. In the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. And this one will be our peace. We spoke last week about how we can imagine that Israel at this time in history, at the time of the birth of Jesus, many people probably felt like they had been abandoned by God. And we understand that it was a sense in which they had been. And there's a sense that it was not a sense, but the truth is this. It was because of the fact that they had not been true to the Lord their God. And that is demonstrated in the Old Testament over and over again. Uh, you know, how, how the Lord would do great things and wonderful things, and the people would respond, and very often they would say, we will do what he says. But the next thing you know, they're back at doing things just very similar to the way that everyone else in the world was doing things. And we know because of that that, that God brought tribulation upon them. At the hands of invading armies, first the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, then the Persians, then the Greeks, and then in the days of Jesus, the Romans were occupying Palestine. This had been going on for about 900 years since the beginning of this trial and tribulation, this oppression, if you want to call it that, and this sense of abandonment. Yet these people were awaiting the coming of the Messiah because they knew that the prophet spoke of the one who would come. And this is one of the passages that they were familiar with, that God was sending forth a great ruler who was going to return Israel to the glory days of David and Solomon was in their mind, many of them, that he would come and he would deliver Israel. But before that would happen, there would be signs that would be given. And one of those was this, is the one uh, being in labor will give birth. That a child would be born. Now, let me tell you this. That doesn't sound like much of a sign to me because babies are born all the time, right? So how could this be a sign of... 
the great one that God was sending. And we know this and that is because it was a virgin birth. That God brought Mary forth. And God created within her the baby Jesus. And in the time she gave birth to him, a very, very special child, an eternal child, God himself in human form. Notice here that it speaks about, uh, in, the, in the NAS it says, the remainder of his brother. Maybe a better one would be, uh, a better translation would be a remnant. We know that the, the idea of the remnant is a very common theme in the Old Testament, and that is a, the idea that God will save some. He, and he never promises to save all, but he will save some. And we see that promise repeated here. John enlightens us to the circumstances into which Jesus really did come. He says this, he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God made it all possible. And I just want to challenge us with the idea this morning that this was God's intention all along. God never promised he was going to save everyone. That doesn't exist in the Bible. But he does promise over and over that he is going to save some. And that he is going to do what is absolutely necessary to make that a reality. And that he will not lose a single one of them. That he will bring them from the point of their conversion all the way to their glorification. This one will rise. Now, sometimes we want to jump to things like, well, that must be kind of a picture of the, res- of the crucifixion to come. And I don't think it has anything to do with that at all. Because literally what it means is he will stand He will stand forth. He will come forth from among those of Israel. He will arise and he will shepherd his flock. Notice here it doesn't say that he will be the king. It doesn't say that he will be the Lord. It doesn't say that he will be the leader. It doesn't say that he will be the priest. It doesn't say that he will be the prophet. It says that he will be the one who shepherds or pastors his flock. Now, you may not feel a lot like a sheep, but you actually have a lot in common with sheep. I wasn't raised around sheep. I'm not sure I've seen too many sheep. I've seen sheep in the petting zoo and maybe in a field here, there, and yonder. But for the most part, I don't know a lot about sheep. But I've done some reading 
there's a book written by a guy named Philip Keller that has, and the title of it is A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And if you've never read that book, I would encourage you to do it because as a shepherd, he brings to life Psalm 23 for, for people like me and you in a way that someone who doesn't know a lot about sheep could possibly do. So have you ever thought of yourself as a sheep? Well, some things that we have in common with sheep. Very often we're easily frightened. As a matter of fact, there are records of sheep that actually died from fright. Very often when, when danger approaches them, they, get, they, they react in a panic. And very often, rather than running away from danger, they run right into it. Now let me ask you, does that remind you, not of the people sitting around you at all, but does that remind you of yourself at least some of the time? We also know this, that the the sheep are prone to wander. We know that from what Philip Keller tells us. But more importantly, we know that from what Jesus tells us that. He's the good and great shepherd who shepherds his flock. So do you see in yourself a tendency to wander? Let me just give you a practical way I've seen this this work with me. Is is sometimes I'll find myself wandering when I'm praying. You know, that time when, when you think that you should be able to focus more clearly and specifically on particular things and set everything else apart, everything else aside. It's not unusual for me to, when I'm praying, and sometimes I pray for lengthy periods of time, to, to at points begin to wander off. My mind begins to stray and carry me in other directions. But fortunately, the good shepherd usually brings me back on track. So are you prone to wander? Sheep also tend to gorge themselves on food when given the opportunity. And I'm not even going to address that one. Sheep are very needy. They are very, very needy. And I know that a lot of us very often, we don't realize just how needy we are because we can also tend to be prideful and and, and arrogant in a sense and strong-minded people. But the truth is this, and the older I get, the more and more I see this, and the more and more I, I realize this, is we are people who are in desperate need. And I'm not talking about, about people out there who are still distant from the Lord. I'm talking about people who, who have professed faith in Jesus, and they've come in and they've walked with him for a long time now. We still desperately, desperately need him with every waking and every sleeping moment. Do you think you could ever have enough of Jesus? There's no way. Uh, 
Many, many years ago, I read uh, a biography on Hudson Taylor that was written, written by some of his ancestors. And it's based largely upon letters that they still have in their possession that he wrote. And he was a missionary to, to China back in the 1850s or 60s or so. So it's been quite a while ago. So these letters are very, very old, and they've been passed down from generation to generation to generation, and there are numbers of them. You may not realize it, but one of the reasons that we adopted the, the, the stance that we do about no debt came from my reading of that particular biography. Because the China Inland Mission, which penetrated, was the first Christian group to really penetrate into China and make a difference, and there are remnants of the China Inland Mission there today. Still there. Hudson Taylor. I'm almost through. It's in two volumes, and I'm almost through the second volume. And when you think about the things that he's accomplished in his lifetime at that point already, leaving his family behind, going by himself to China, not knowing what's going to come of any of it, but just having this burden placed upon his heart by God, convinced that this is what he, the Lord wanted him to do. Very dangerous sea voyage that took him there. Left mother and father and, 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 and brothers and sisters dear to him behind. With the idea, and we need to remember this, that the missionaries a little bit different life today than it used to be. Very often when they left, they knew there was a very, very good chance they would never, ever see family again in this lifetime. These people sacrificed unbelievably all because they had the sense the Lord was calling them to do what they did. But I'm two-thirds of the way through the story of Hudson Taylor at this point. And, 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 and it was at this time, and so this is years and years and years after he first went to China on his own, and, and he did get married eventually, and so he had children, and their youngest one died on the mission field. Little beyond infancy, a little child they buried in China. Later on, another one of their children died in China. So we're talking about people that gave up a lot of what we might consider to be important things. But the interesting thing is this, is after all of those years and all that Dustin Taylor had accomplished, he went through a spiritual awakening. Because up to that point, what he would say is this, is I tried to do things on my own, and I really didn't understand what it meant to rest and trust completely and fully in Jesus. But then there's evidence in these letters that all of a sudden there was this transformation of Hudson Taylor, and it's not just his letters. It was, it, you find it in letters that other people wrote about him at this particular time, that there was this great joy and this sense of peace that fell upon him that nothing could shake. That he was filled with the Spirit of God, and he was joyous 
all the time, regardless of the circumstances he happened to be in. And he was in very, very difficult circumstances most of the time. But now his life was characterized by things like peace and joy. And let me tell you guys, it was contagious. It transformed the whole mission. There's a story about Hudson Taylor. It may be in the biography. I read it somewhere before. This is the second time I've read this. But it talks about, and this was later on, once the mission was well established and all of that, and he became more of an administrator than anything else, which probably was very difficult for him because he was a man in the field. Uh, But there was news that came one day that some of the missionaries had been taken captive somewhere, and they were under the threat of death. And the news came to the office, and, and his secretary or whoever brought the word to him, and you know, they came, came in and told Hudson Taylor what was going on and, you know, concern was expressed and maybe they said a prayer or whatever. But, but, the, but the secretary left the room and just a few minutes later, you could hear Hudson Taylor singing this song and it was a song, it was a song of, a song of praise and joy. And the secretary didn't know how to take it and went back in and said, what's going on here? You should be crying, you should be whatever. How can you be so joyful? And this is paraphrase. That Christ is still on the throne. Nothing's changed. I don't know about you guys, but I want that. I want that peace. I want that joy. I don't want to become a grumpy old man. (laughs) I just don't. I really don't. I've had some good examples. No, <laughs> but anyway, I mean, this is what it's about, guys. I mean, it's, it, the question is this. Are we really, are we truly, are we absolutely, are we completely resting in the arms of Jesus? Really? Or is it just something we talk about? Or just something we do on occasion? Is it something that has conquered even our greatest fears? I want it. There's a sense in which you can say people like me, pastors, we call them pastors, are under-shepherds of the great shepherd. There's a sense in which my biggest responsibility is to shepherd the flock that God has entrusted to me. That means a number of things, and one of the biggest things is this is it's my job to feed you, to make sure that you get fed the Word of God on a regular basis.
sometimes to protect you from the wolves. An impossible task for a person. But one that is very easy for the good and great shepherd. Do we understand that we have absolutely nothing to be afraid of? Not one thing that we need to fear. Do we understand that he will never let us go? And people have failed you in life and you've failed other people. You've let people down and people have let you down. And sometimes it was very important people. It's hard for us to even imagine one that is absolutely 100% dependable and someone that we can lean on and that will never, ever, ever let us down, ever. That we have such a one in Jesus. This is the one who brings peace. He brings joy. He brings happiness. He brings relief. He brings release. He brings all of those things on the wall behind me that are not up there right now, I guess. (laughs) That are usually up there. He brings all of those you know, all in the same package. Can you imagine opening up this, this gift from someone and it would have everything in it that you need? Everything in it that you really, really, truly, deep down inside want. It all comes in Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he is called many things, but he's called the Prince of Peace. Peace. When the angels appeared to the shepherds in Bethlehem, what were they singing? They were singing or saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is well pleased. Sometimes we understand that to mean that God has has sent forth Jesus to bring peace to all people. But I would challenge you with the idea this morning that the purpose of God in sending Jesus to to bring peace is peace to the remnant. Peace to those who would believe it and live accordingly. Does the world... To you right now, look like it's at peace. I mean, I've heard more and more people telling me that, you know, I've lived so many years and I don't ever remember a time when there's so much division in our land. There doesn't seem to be any peace. Just think about those several people who were injured in New York early in the week when the crazy fellow blew up the bomb in his own stomach, basically. And did more damage to himself than anyone else. 
Do you think that young man was at peace? Do you think those people felt like they were at peace? What about the family members who lost a loved one this week for some needless reason? Are they at peace? What about a child who, as we speak right now, is being sexually or physically abused? Do you think they feel at peace? These things go on. Some of you have suffered these things yourself. And let me say this, maybe some of you were the the bad guy in some of these things at times. I don't know. But the thing about it that is amazing, maybe most of all, is that the forgiveness of God is so complete in Jesus that he will forgive us of what we would consider the most heinous things. Hurt, harm, and pain seem to be pretty constant in the world. It seems to be the way of the world, and everyone in this room knows it's true because there's so much evidence around of the reality of it, you can't deny it. But see, this makes what Jesus promises even more precious because he promises his peace right in the middle, in the very midst of this raging conflict. That if anyone on earth can have any sense of peace where we are, it has to be Christians. Why is that true? Paul enlightens us. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God. Without Jesus, my friends, it would be everything but peace with God. Those who know this peace will be characterized by many things, but one of those things is this, is they will be peacemakers. They will bring the light of peace into pictures where it probably would not be there before. Paul tells us also that in Galatians chapter 5, that that peace is one of the fruits of the Spirit. That if indeed the Spirit of God is in us, then there is peace. Where does that peace come from? 
can only come from one thing, guys and gals. That is resting absolutely, completely, totally in the very capable hands of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, regardless of the circumstances, maybe loved ones that we have are in at this point or people that we know, maybe some of those most dearest to us. This is our only place, guys, to find the peace that our heart longs for. And all people long for it, I guess. You wonder how some could when you look at their lives. Because they do everything but bring peace into the lives of other people. But to bring peace to others, we have to know it first ourselves. To be Christ's emissaries of peace, we have to know the peace that is in Jesus to begin with. See, this is what made the difference for Hudson Taylor. He tried for years to be the good Christian guy. To do what God wanted him to do it. Do. Sometimes with a very wrong attitude about doing it. But, but it was like going through the motions was what was, was sufficient. But it was only at the point in his life after he was, he was well into his ministry. He had been in the ministry for 20 or 30 years before it finally hit him. That his biggest downfall was the fact that he was not truly trusting completely in resting in Jesus. Now, let me tell you something. If anything will transform your life, that's the only thing that will. Period. Nothing else will do. So rest. Rest in the fact That you are forgiven. Past, present, future. Rest in the fact that you are no longer a child of the world, but you are a child of the living God. You are a son or daughter of God himself who loves you incomprehensibly. Rest in the truth of the gospel. Rest in the child Jesus. Rest in the crucified Jesus. Don't stop there. Rest in the ascended Jesus. Amen.